of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds came to be. He is Alpha and Omega, He the source, the ending, He, of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see, evermore and evermore. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is the After Dinner Scholar, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. Up till this, the final week of Advent, the Church has set our attention on the second Advent of Christ, that day when He will come in glory to gather His people into His resurrection, remake this tired, sinful world, and set all wrongs right, when He will, quote, wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, close quote. Now, in this final week, we focus on his first coming as the babe in Bethlehem, his coming into our world of tears, death, mourning, and crying. Theologian Dr. Jeremy Holmes, in his personal spiritual life, in his scholarship, in the classroom, and in his book, Cur Dies Verba, Why the Word Became Word, has spent a great deal of time considering the mystery of the incarnation of God become flesh. What do we mean by the incarnation? What do we believe happened in Mary's womb? The incarnation is best described by the result rather than a process leading to the result. Uh, the, the miracle of how God did it uh, will remain, I think, obscure to our minds uh, until the beatific vision. But we can say doctrinally what resulted. There is a man, a, a child, uh, a, I guess we would say, zygote, <laughs> that is the second person of the Trinity. So we have one person who nonetheless lives in two natures. Now, it's worth reflecting on those two terms, person and nature. In everyday language, we could say, the person is the one who does things. The nature is what provides the palette of options for doing. So for example, uh, I can think and laugh because I am a human being. I cannot fly or lay eggs because I am not a bird, right? And uh, if I think or laugh, it is my nature that provides that possibility to me, but it's not my human nature that thinks. No, it, it, it is I who does it, right? And if I were to leap across this room and seize a book and begin to read, no one would say, look at that, his nature began to read. No, they would say he began to read. Uh, and yet the fact that I can move through space and seize things and read books are all possibilities open to me because of what I am, because of my nature. Or in other words, we can say person corresponds to who, as in who done it. Nature corresponds to what, as in what is that? 
And uh, one way to see this distinction is when you see something coming, uh, at first, you have no idea what it is. You just know there's something coming. And generally speaking, as it emerges from the mists, you first discern, oh, it's a human being. And later discern who it is. So if I were coming to you out of the mists, you would say to yourself first, what's that? Oh, it's a human being. That's good. That's a relief. I wonder who it is. And later you would say, oh, I see, it's Jeremy Holmes, right? So there's nature and there is person. And it, the incarnation uh, it, it results in one person, namely the divine person uh, of the Son of God, living in two natures, the divine nature and a human nature. That is really helpful. That's very helpful. But just a, a, another little bit of review. Tell us about the Trinity. I, I fear we too easily slip into confusion, either thinking that Jesus was a second God or that kind of he was a super angel uh, who be, or, or that he became God, whatever that means. What do we mean by the Trinity? What reason can discover about God uh, includes that God exists, that God is uh, intelligent, that God is absolutely one. Reason can tell us many things about the Creator, but what comes as a complete surprise to reason is that there are distinct persons in God. Reason left to its own would think uh, that's not that's not possible. There, God is so absolutely one. There's no distinction between his existence and his essence, between his justice and his mercy, between his wisdom and his love. Uh, God is absolutely one. It's revelation that tells us the Father is distinct from the Son, and the Father and the Son together are distinct from the Holy Spirit. However, these three distinct persons are one in being. Uh, one in not not simply one in nature. We're not talking about three gods, but one in being. There is only one God. Uh, there is only one what God is. But there are three answers to the question who. So when I say who created me, I could say God, and that's true. I can say the Father created me. That's true. I can say the Son created me. That's true. I can also say the Holy Spirit created me. That's true too, because all three persons act in one nature. So what created me? God. Who created me? Oh, now I can say several things that are all true. And the incarnation is how God revealed this fact to us. That is, the incarnation is not the person of the Father existing in a human nature or the person of the Holy Spirit existing in a human nature, but only the person of the Son existing in a human nature and living in, in this, other, uh, this other way of being. And the, the way that the Son lived his life and the way he ended his life 
is not only revealing to us his distinct his distinction as the son but is also revealing to us what is his life eternally that is to say as the church fathers would say the economy reveals the theology that is what happens in space and time in salvation history reveals the uh, interior eternal life of god and uh, so when we when we see uh, christ in the way he dealt with others in the way he lived his life but especially in the way he died for us on the cross we we we're getting a glimpse however little we may understand it into the answer to the question that a child might ask. What does God do all day? He eternally is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means is revealed to us in the cross. That is, it is a life of eternal knowledge and love. But uh, we, we tend to take the term love so cheaply that he had to show us what that word means. Now, when we talk about the incarnation, we talk about it as a mystery. And uh, that doesn't mean mystery in the sense that Agatha Christie wrote mysteries. Uh, what do we mean when we, call, when, when we call the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, a mystery? You can have mysteries in a loose sense and mysteries in a strict sense, right? The Agatha Christie mystery is a mystery in the loose sense, that is, there is something that I don't know, I don't understand, uh, and once I, someone shows me the explanation, then no, now I understand. And that's the happy sort of sense of resolution at the end of the book. It all clicks together when Hercule Poirot, you know, tells the narrative and, and, and assembles the, the solution for us. But a mystery in the strict sense is something that I can't know on my own, but I need someone else to tell me. And then once someone has told me, I still can't understand it. I can understand the fact, but I can't understand what's going on. So for example, um, right, if uh, perhaps my, I don't know what my wife is doing right now, maybe she's at the grocery store. I have no way of knowing what my wife is doing right now. But later she could tell me while you were, recording this podcast, I went to the grocery store and I would thoroughly understand what it means to go to the grocery store. But even after God tells me this child is my son, I can accept the fact, but I'm not going to really get my mind to the bottom of that fact and, and grasp it through and through. Um, because, uh, to do that, I would need to I would need to grasp through and through the divine nature. In other words, I would need to have the beatific vision. I know that you and your family attend the Byzantine Rite services here at the college. Are there any emphases or ways of thinking about the incarnation in the Eastern Church that, for you, augment or deepen the our typical Latin Western understanding of the incarnation? I'll speak of differences and then of a surprising similarity. The Greek fathers love to play around with paradox. And so the services for Christmas composed by you know, the, 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 the Eastern fathers dwell endlessly on things like, he whom the heavens cannot contain was contained within the womb of Mary. 
the one upon upon whom angels longed to gaze was gazed upon, you know, by the animals and and so on. Right? They they love to circle around these paradoxes, um, and one finds elements of that uh, in the Western liturgy, uh, but perhaps in places where uh, where we don't often peer. For example, there's a, a marvelous text for mat- the Matins of Christmas Day in the, the Roman Rite, um, O Magnum Mysterium, and it's been set to music several times, uh, most beautifully, I would say, by Morton Lordson. Uh, but, uh, you know, O Great Mystery, right? Um, that, you know, that the eternal word of God should be gazed upon by right, the animals, right? The, the, this, this meditation on, on the paradox that the invisible can be seen by an ox, right? So, but, but the Greek fathers love this and it really characterizes the services of, of Christmas for them. There's this one text in particular that uh, always stands out to me and I think maybe uh, gets at the very heart of what the West has really done so well in, its, in, in, in our liturgies in the West. There's, there's one text that speaks about coming to find you know, eternal salvation in the hidden place, right? The, in the cave. Um, and uh, Father Anderson always connects that text to a, a beautiful poem by G.K. Chesterton where he says, come let us enter heaven through the little door. You know, the door where you have to stoop down and be with the animals in the dark cave. And there you'll find, you know, all the treasures that the whole world has been looking for in all the wrong places. In his book, Cur Dies Verbum, Dr. Holmes quotes the third century theologian Origen, quote, the human understanding with its narrow limits is baffled and struck with amazement at so mighty a wonder, knows not which way to turn, what to hold to, or whither to betake itself. To utter these things in human ears and to explain them by words far exceeds the power we possess, either in our moral worth or in mind and speech, close quote. Yet we believe and we can contemplate the truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. May our Christmas be filled with the savor of that contemplation and that grace. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.